Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. My goodness, you have some nice shoes. go there you thank you Kelsey all right stretch your hands toward these children father thank you so much Lord this to me is a is a symbol of the life of a ministry when we are children who are seeing church not as a grudging boring obligation but as a as a time for fun and an opportunity to learn things that will stand them in good stead all their lives Lord, I think back on my early days in church when I was in foster care, it was a horrible experience. There was nothing for me to do. There were no other children really to, to, to play with in any sense, there was nothing organized. And as soon as I didn't have to go, I didn't want to go. But we want these children to have memories that they look back on and smile. We want them to have interactions with teachers that they remember for a lifetime. We want them to always gravitate to you because they remember those early days in church when they would go with their parents and they would go to children's church and they would learn things and they would play and they would enjoy themselves. 
Because, Lord God, we want them to grow up strong and straight, trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that you may be glorified. So bless them. Bless their parents. Bless their homes. Bless their schools. And, Lord God, bless the maximum potential Christian academy and what it's trying to instill in some of these children. And, Father God, bless the teachers who are working with them to help them to grow. As Lord God, we're living in a world now in which that people's attitude toward children is they've got their own agenda and they simply want the children to be part of that agenda. And Lord God, it's some of the most unhealthy things imaginable that are involved. And Lord, we want to protect these children from that. And we want them to grow up to be leaders who can help protect their own families and themselves and their children from it. So Father God, we commit them into your loving care. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, when I see you all at the church, tell me what you learned, okay? All right. Praise God. God bless you all. You may be seated. Amen. 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 Praise God. Um, I think our, our audience is with us already. Amen. Pastor Marland, just, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You all can tell I'm TV ready. <laughs> Very sophisticated here. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. Amen. All right. It's Palm Sunday. I'm excited about this message that the Lord has given me for today. I want to welcome our live stream audience and, and thank you all for joining us. And, and please give our live stream audience uh, a hand. Uh, please, let's, let's just thank them because we have people watching uh, on live stream who have attached themselves to our ministry. I believed that that was going to happen. God really spoke that to me. They give consistently. Um, they've given sometimes, some of them are giving more consistently. Some of the members I've had have given, but nevertheless, not you, but you know. Uh, and, and, and I'm really grateful to them because they don't get to come here because they live far out of town, but they're giving and they're, they're praying with us. And uh, and we, we just want to be able to do more to try to minister to them. So we are grateful to those of you who are watching live stream. Um, and I want to invite you, no matter where you are, come on, be with us live uh, on Resurrection Sunday, uh, one week from today. Uh, if you can't get out, you can't be here and join us on live stream again next week. Uh, we'll be live streaming at about uh, 11, actually be pr probably about, well, we'll, we'll say between 11.50 and 12 noon. We're looking at adjusting the time a little bit, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll work that out. But you keep tuning in at 11.50 a.m. Eastern time, and I'm sure you'll find us on or we'll be on shortly thereafter. All right. Praise God. Well, it is, it is Palm Sunday. I was in Boston for, with our Boston church yesterday. We had a wonderful time yesterday. And uh, our Boston members bring greetings uh, to you and, and say they love you and looking forward. You know, we talked a little bit about convocation, which we have every year. Convocation is going to be the first weekend in August. That's when it always takes place. Please mark that on your calendar because we do intend to have our, our annual convocation where we bring people. In fact, some of the people online may come to our convocation who've attached themselves to us, may fly in or something to be a part of it. But that's where we, we spend some time just teaching and talking about what God has laid on my heart for the entire church and the entire ministry. And be praying for us, by the way, because we're talking to people from other parts of the country who want to get ministry started under our leadership. Uh, and we're trying to work out now the technical uh, thing of, of be, being able to preach to people, uh, having a staff uh, of people available who can gather others together, and then they can listen to me by satellite and be in touch with us 
through the wonders of modern technology. Uh, we're moving ahead with that. I don't know when some of that will begin to happen, uh, but we're already scheduling some meetings right now uh, to talk to folks about that. So you all be praying about that too, amen? We don't listen. To me, if you stand still and you stagnate, you go backwards. There's no such thing as sta standing still means going backwards because the world and the devil will keep moving ahead. Amen. So we, we've got to be in the forefront, leading the way, uh, not falling backwards. Uh, I, I never believed in the concept of leading from behind. I won't say anything more about that, but nevertheless, I never believed in that concept. That didn't, that's not leadership. Uh, but, uh, Co All right. Let's let's get to the word here. Um, now. I have preached when I've been in the ministry. I, I, I lose track of when I, when I first started pastoring, uh, which was 1980. I pastored my first church in 1980. So this is 21. That's 41 years. Um, so I probably preached the Palm Sunday service every year. So this would probably be my 41st, unless something interfered one year. I can't remember it ever did. This would be my 41st. Um, and you know, you as Christians who've been in the faith for a while have gone to a lot of Palm Sunday services and probably heard a lot of sermons. And you know, I think we as Christians can get to this point where it's like, well, it's just another Palm Sunday service and there's nothing different, nothing new, nothing unusual. We're gonna talk about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Now, first of all, for those of you who know me, you know I don't think like that. I don't want you to think like that. For those of you who don't, I want you to know, I don't believe that about the word of God. I believe the word of God is so fresh that it can give you something new every time. Amen. It can give you something helpful, something that will strengthen you every single time. And I have to tell you, the Lord has already strengthened me through this message as I was studying and preparing for it. It's already strengthened me. So if you will pay attention, I guarantee you will go out of here, not only with a new appreciation for the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem one week before his crucifixion, but you will go out strengthened. You will go out with a with a new sense of how to deal with the issues that we all are confronting in life uh, individually and collectively as a as a nation or as a family uh, or whatever the circumstance uh, in which you find yourself. Now, the triumphal entry is told in all four Gospels. I'm going to use John's for for our purposes and we'll make reference to some of the others. But John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15 say the following. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And now I'm reading, of course, from the New King James Version. But that's John's version, a portion of it. It's not the whole story, but it's a portion of John's version of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, first interesting thing I want to point out to you is this statement, this phrase, this phrase of praise, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is really a quote from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 verses 25 and 26 say the following, Save now, I pray, O Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, send prosperity now. Now, Hosanna actually means save now. See, they were quoting Psalm 118. Hosanna actually means save now, oh, Lord. And then blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
26th verse of Psalm 118 says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So they were really quoting from the psalm. Now that psalm, that passage particularly, is a cry for immediate intervention by God. It's a cry for God to enter the circumstances and to do so quickly, to do so powerfully, to do so immediately. We need you now, Lord. Save now, I pray, O oh Lord. I pray send prosperity now. And that word prosperity doesn't mean send money. It means solve whatever problem I'm confronting. It means prosper me in whatever circumstance I'm in. And that will apply to anything in your life that challenges you, anything in your life that comes against you. See, people think of prosperity and they say, well, those prosperity preachers. But biblical prosperity is not simply about money. It is about the whole life. It is about a life that is full and whole in the sight of God. So you can't be prosperous because you have money, but your body's all broken down. And you can't be prosperous and have money, but your marriage is a mess. And you can't be prosperous and have money, but your family is torn asunder. So prosperity from a biblical point of view is the whole life. God wants your whole life to be integrated. He wants your whole life to be healthy, to be bountiful, to be good. That's what God sees as prosperity. Prosperity is not having a million dollars or a billion dollars or any specific amount of money. It's about having enough to meet your needs and plenty for every good work. Amen. 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 So, so this is a desperate cry. And this is the cry to the Messiah. And the people in Jerusalem are making this cry to Jesus Christ and confessing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So number one. Praise, which is what they're doing, is a recognition that God is present right now, that God is a right now God, that he's a he's a ever present help in the time of trouble. You know, when Daniel began to pray and fast and it took 21 days for the angel to appear, when the angel appeared, he said, Daniel, the moment you prayed, I was dispatched. And he said, I had spiritual warfare in the heavenlies to get to you. But, but God moved immediately. Amen? So, so praise is an acknowledgement that God is present right now. Psalm 22 verse 3 says, you are wholly enthroned, or some translations say, you inhabit the praises of your people. In other words, Lord, you are imminent in praise. You are, you are enthroned in praise. You are present now in our praise. So that means your praise is a manifestation and recognition of your closeness to God and God's closeness to you. You find me a Christian who has no praise life. I find you, I'll find you a Christian who has no real relationship with God. Amen. It's just that plain and simple. If you are close to God, then you've got to have a praise life because God is pleased with it and you are pleased with it because you want to praise him. Amen. 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 So it's an, it is a manifestation of our closeness to God and God's closeness to us. But praise is also an expression of our love for God and intimacy with him. See, we were made to love God. We were made. Look, God did not make human beings to build the universe. Or to build buildings or to create inventions. I mean, all that's a byproduct of our being like him. We are creative like him. 
God made us for him. He made us for a love relationship. That's why our relationship with God is not based on works. How are you going to compete with the God who made the universe and made you? I mean, he's not impressed by works. Now, there are things he wants done because he has a plan for us and a plan for this world. But his love for you has absolutely nothing to do with that. He loves you because you're his. And as I've said before, there's nothing you can do to stop God from loving you. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. Now, you can do things, do things that aren't pleasing in his sight, but he's not going to love you any less. Don't raise your hand, but there's not a Christian in this room that hadn't made a mistake. And God never stopped loving you, not one iota. He never stopped loving you, not for one second. I say, even when we create problems of our own, God is not like some people. And met these folks sit back. Yeah, good for you. That's what you get. God's not like that. Even if you've made a mistake and you created problems of your own making, God is still there loving you, showing you that he's, he'll, he'll make a way out of it. He'll, he'll, he'll help you to get through it. He'll help you to deal with it. Amen. Because his love for you never, ever, ever diminishes. I mean, how could it possibly, if he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins and Jesus Christ is the, he, he is the, the crowning glory of Almighty God and he gave him up for you. You think your little mess up is going to make God say, well, I'm, I'm done with you now. You know, people ask me because they hear me preach so hard against some things. They say, well, what if, what if, what if your, one of your children turned out to be a homosexual, something like that? Would you disown them? I say, absolutely not. I wouldn't sanction or approve of what they're doing, but I love them anyway. Amen. Amen. I, I'm, you know what? I, I love them and pray them out of that mess. That's what I do. Amen. Praise God. I, I wouldn't abandon them. I wouldn't turn my back on them. I wouldn't say, you're no longer my child. Why? Because God doesn't do that to us. He doesn't do that to us. Amen. He loves us. And praise that is expression of our love for him and the fact that he enters into that, is enthroned in that, inhabits that, is God's loving response to our expression of love for him. Amen. Acts 13, 2 says, and we won't spend long there, but if you want to flip to it real quick, you can. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, you know, what does that mean? As they ministered to the Lord, it means as they worshiped him and praised him. It means as they expressed their thanksgiving toward him. The word, therefore, minister to the Lord is liturgio in the Greek. Our word liturgy comes from it. And it means they were actually just praising and worshiping and honoring and acknowledging and thanking God. And in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit spoke. You know what? You want God to speak to you more? Spend more time in praise. Because, you know, he inhabits the praises of his people. And, and the, the, the more you draw to him in praise, the more he will not only draw toward you, but the more he will speak to you. You know, some of the greatest things God has ever said to me, he said in the midst of a worship service where I was praising and worshiping God and God spoke to me and, and, and has said things to me in those circumstances that I will never, ever forget. Some of those things were personal for me. Some things that God was just talking to me about. Amen. Not things for me to announce, but, 
But, but that's what God does is he draws close to you in praise. He also speaks to you. So notice they weren't asking God, Lord, what do we do from here? They were just ministering to the Lord and the Lord spoke. The Holy Spirit stepped in. Amen. So that's why James 4 eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, when we praise God, we are drawing near to him. Amen. Amen. Now, look. The word praise can be used to talk about human beings, but that's not the praise we're talking about when we're talking about praising God. Because when we praise human beings, we're generally praising human beings for a specific thing or things that they've said or done or accomplished, right? Amen. Which means that there may be other things in their lives that are not praiseworthy at all. When we praise God, it's an acknowledgement that everything about him is praiseworthy. Amen. Everything about him is praiseworthy. See, praise to God comes from this revelation that God is beyond all limitations and all measurements. You can't, you can't put any limit or constriction or comma on the goodness, the greatness, the mercy of almighty God. He is transcendent. Amen. So when we praise him, it is without qualification. It is without reservation. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody say about somebody that they may be saying highly of or like? They say, yeah, you know, I really uh, like that or I really appreciated that. But. And then they want to bring up something else that they don't particularly appreciate. <laughs> There's no buts with God. <laughs> Amen. There's no buts when it comes to praising God. I mean, everything about God is good. And look, he is preeminent and transcendent goodness. You know, scientists mostly don't believe in God. They used to all believe in God in the 17th, 18th, even most of the 19th century. We've come to a point now where scientists, for the most part, take it as a badge of honor that they don't believe in God. I think I said not too long ago, Stephen Hawking is reputed to be the most intelligent, most brilliant man in the world. Uh, and he came up with this brilliant idea that the universe created itself. Now, how dumb can you get? Well, you know what that is? That's just the human mind without an answer that it, it doesn't want to receive, just making something up. So the universe doesn't exist, but the universe says, but I think I will. The universe. <laughs> and this is supposed to be the guy we look to. Oh, he's brilliant. Yeah, right. Well, if that's brilliance, I'd rather have dumb. But but scientists would would if they those who believed in God would call him the prime mover, the first cause. See, we we refer to God as our creator. In other words, the one without whom nothing else would exist and the one for whom there is no cause. He is the author of his own being and existence. He is the great I am that I am. <laughs> he didn't come from anywhere. He didn't come from anybody. He simply is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, look, that's what Jesus was trying to tell the scribes and Pharisees because in Luke's account of the triumphal entry, you all know this because this, this is famous in the body of Christ. It says in the 39th verse of Luke 19, it says some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the very stones would cry out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, how can you stop the creation from praising the creator? You can't stop that. 
If you try to suppress it over here, it'll break out over here. Amen. How can you stop it when the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth his handiwork? He's saying, you all don't know what you're talking about. Make them keep silent. If, if, if you could make them keep silent, the stones would say, hallelujah, Jesus. The stones would say, glory to the Lamb of God. The, the, the creation was made to the glory of its creator. And you can't stop that. Amen. Amen. And it's fitting that he be praised. Amen. Because he is the creator. Psalm 150 verse 6 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now, you know, if everything that has breath, everything that has breath <laughs> praises the Lord. Amen. We got a little puppy, a little dog in the back. He, the Bible says he can praise God. <laughs> then you know that we as the crowning glory of his creation, you know we ought to be praising God. Because we're the only creatures made in his image and made in his likeness. Amen. I mean, we're the only creatures that God looks at and says, look at mine. Look at my children. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And you know, when, when, when your children are acting like you, it makes you smile. As long as you haven't been acting ugly. Sometimes we would get mad at our children because they were acting like us. <laughs> But when, when your children act like you, you see qualities in them that you, you, you know you want to see in yourself. Man, it makes you smile. And think of what God does when he looks at us and sees us praising him and, and worshiping him and thanking him and serving him and putting him first. Remember, you got a little touch of that with, with, with Job when God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him in all the earth who, who, who embraces good and eschews evil? You know, Satan said, yeah, yeah, I've seen him. I've seen him. Let me put my hands on him. No, but actually what he said was, you put your hands on him. And of course, I won't get off into that because God didn't do that. Satan, <laughs> Satan ultimately did that. Amen. So, so praise is an acknowledgement of God's closeness to us, our closeness to him, his eminence, his preeminence. Now, look, praise is also an acknowledgement of God's greatness, his greatness. You know, God is infinitely bigger than we are, smarter than we are, stronger than we are, morally better than we are, and not by a little bit, but by an infinite amount. I mean, can you imagine that Jesus, who is perfection itself, Never did anything wrong, never said anything wrong, never behaved in a wrong way. And look, saints, I believe what the word of God says from his childhood up. Now, some people may have a hard time with that. I do not. Because remember, while he's fully God. He's also fully man. He is he is God and man rolled into one. And I, I really believe that if the spirit of God was upon John the Baptist at his, at an, at, in his mother's womb, so much so that he acknowledges Savior in the womb. <laughs> I, I know that the spirit of God was there with Jesus, guiding him and leading him and, and moving him away from the evils and the temptations of the world. So, so that at 12 years old, when his parents left the feast to go home, they looked up and couldn't find him and went everywhere looking for him. And they found him in the temple teaching. 12 years old. And, and, you know, it's interesting how Jesus responded to that. He said, 
Well, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know where I would be? That I would be about my father's business? But you know, his poor mama said, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. I, all I knew was I looked at you weren't there.